0: Volume 1. Chapter 1. Of the Heidenmauer. Or the Benedictines. A Legend of the Rhine. By James Fettermore Cooper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Joel Kendrick. The Heidenmauer. By James Fettermore Cooper. Volume 1. Chapter 1 stand you both forth now stroke your chins and swear by your beards that i am a knave as you like it the reader must imagine a narrow and secluded valley for the opening scene of this tale the time was that in which the day loses its power casting a light on objects most exposed that resembles colors seen through glass slightly stained a peculiarity of the atmosphere which though almost of daily occurrence in summer and autumn is the source of constant enjoyment to the real lover of nature the hue mint is not a sickly yellow but rather a soft and melancholy glory that lends to the hillside and copse to tree and tower to stream and lawn those tinges of surpassing loveliness that impart to the close of day its proverbial and soothing charm the setting sun touched with oblique rays a bit of shaven meadow that lay in a dell so deep as to owe this parting smile of nature to an accidental formation of the neighboring eminences a distant mountain crest that a flock had cropped and fertilized a rippling current that glided in the bottom a narrow beaten path more worn by hoof than wheel and a vast range of forest that swelled and receded from the view covering leagues of a hill-chase that even tradition had never peopled the spot was seemingly as retired as if it had been chosen in one of our own solitudes of the wilderness while it was in fact near the centre of europe and in the sixteenth century but notwithstanding the absence of dwellings and all the other signs of the immediate presence of man together with the wooden character of the scene an american eye would not have been slow to detect its distinguishing features from those which marked the wilds of this country the trees though preserved with care and flourishing wanted the moss of ages the high and rocking summit the variety and natural wildness of the western forest no mouldering trunk lay where it had fallen no branch had been twisted by the gale and forgotten nor did any upturned root betray the indifference of man to the decay of this important part of vegetation here and there a species of broom such as is seen occasionally on the mastheads of ships was erected above some tall member of the woods that stood on an elevated point landmarks which divided the rights of those who were entitled to cut and clip The certain evidence that man long before extended his sway over these somber hills, and that, retired as they seemed, they were actually subject to all the divisions and restraints and vexations which, in peopled regions, accompany the rights of property. For an hour preceding the opening of our tale, not a sound of any nature, beyond that of a murmuring brook, had disturbed the quiet of the silent little valley. If a gorge so narrow and in truth so wild deserved the name, there was not even a bird fluttering among the trees, nor a hawk soaring above the heights. Once, and for a minute only, did a roebuck venture from its cover and descend to the rivulet to drink. The animal had not altogether the elastic bound, the timid and irresolute movement, nor the wandering eye of our own deer, but it was clearly an inhabitant of a forest for while it in some degree confided in the protection it also distrusted the power of man no sooner its thirst assuaged than the listening with the keenness and an instinct that no circumstances of accidental condition could destroy it went up the acclivity again and sought its cover with troubled steps at the same instant a greyhound leaped from among the tree on the opposite side of the gorge into the path and began bounding back and forth in the well-known manner of that species of dog when exercising in restlessness rather than engaged in the hot strife of the chase a whistle called the hound back from its gambols and its master entered the path a cap of green velvet bearing a hunting-horn above the shade a coarse but neat frock of similar color equally ornamented with the same badge of office together with the instrument itself suspended from a shoulder and the arms usual to one of that class denoted a forester or an individual charged with the care of the chase and otherwise entrusted with a jurisdiction in the forest functions that would be much degraded by the use of the abused and familiar term of gamekeeper the forester was young active and notwithstanding the rudeness of his attire of a winning exterior laying his fusee against the root of a tree he whistled in the dog and renewing the call by means of a shrill instrument that was carried for that purpose he soon succeeded in bringing its fellow to his side coupling the greyhounds in a leash which he attached to his own person he threw the horn from its noose and blew a lively and short strain that rolled up the valley in mellow and melodious notes when the instrument was removed from his lips the youth listened till the last of the distant echoes was done and if expecting some reply he was not disappointed presently an answering blast came down the gorge ringing among the woods and causing the hearts of many of its tenants to beat quick and fearfully the sounds of the unseen instrument were far more shrill and wild than those of the hunting horn while they wanted not for melancholy sweetness they appeared both familiar and intelligible to the young forester who no sooner heard them than he slung the horn in its usual turn of the cord resumed the fusee and stood in an attitude of expectation it might have been a minute before another youth appeared in the path higher in the gorge and advancing slowly towards the forester his dress was rustic and although that of a peasant while in his hand he held a long straight narrow tube of cherry wood firmly wrapped with bark having a mouthpiece and a small bell at the opposite end resembling those of a trumpet as he came forward his face was not without an expression of ill-humor though it was rather rendered comic than grave by a large felt hat the front rim of which fell in an enormous shade above his eyes rendering the trim cock in the rear ludicrously pretending his legs like those of the forester were encased in a sort of leathern hose that left the limbs naked and free below the knee while the garment above sat so loosely and unbuttoned above that important joint as to offer no restraint to his movements thou art behind thy time gottleb said the young forester as the boar approached and the good hermit will not give us better welcome for keeping him from prayer what has become of thy herd that may the holy man of the heidenmauer declare for it is more than i could answer lord emick himself to put the question and say in the manner he is wont to use the abbot of limburg what hath become of thy herd Gottlob? nay this is no trifling matter if thou hast in sooth let the cattle stray where hast thou the beasts last in sight here in the forest of hartenburg master burkhold on the honour of a humble servitor of the count thou wilt yet lose this service Gottlob, by thy carelessness it would be a thousand pities were thy words to be true for in that case lord emick would lose the honestest cowherd in germany and it would go near to break my heart with the friars of limburg to get him But the beast cannot be far, and I will try the virtue of the horn once more, before I go home to a broken head and a discharge. Dost thou know, Master Burkhold, that the disgrace of which thou speakest never yet befell any of my family, and we have been keepers of cattle longer than the Friedrichs have been electors? The forester made an impatient gesture, patted his hounds, and waited for the effects of the new blast, that his companion was by this time preparing to sound. The manner of Gottlob was that of entire confidence in his own knowledge of his calling, for, notwithstanding his words, his countenance at no time betrayed uneasiness for the fate of his trust. The valley was soon ringing with the wild and plaintive tones of the cherry-wood horn, the hind taking care to give the strains those intonations which, by a mute convention, had from time immemorial been understood as the signal for collecting a lost herd. His skill and faith were soon rewarded, for cow after cow came leaping out of the forest as he blew his air, and ere long the necessary number of animals were in the path, the younger beasts, frisking along the way, with elevated tails and awkward bounds, while the more staid contributors of the dairy hurried on with business-like air, but grave steps, as better became their years and their characters in the hamlet. In a few minutes, they were all collected around the person of the Keeper who having counted his charge shouldered his horn and disposed himself to proceed toward the lower extremity of the gorge thou art lucky to have gotten the beasts together with so little trouble resumed the forester as they followed in the train of the herd say dexterous master burkhold and do not fear to make me vainglorious in the way of understanding my own merits there is little danger of doing me harm thou shouldst never discourage modesty by an over-scrupulous discretion it would be a village miracle were a herd so nurtured in the ways of the church to forget its duty the forester laughed but he looked aside like one who would not see to that which he wished to be blind at thy old tricks friend Gottlob, thou hast let beasts roam upon the range of the friars i have paid peter's pence been to the chapel of st benedict for prayer confessed to father arnoff himself and all within the month what more need a man do to be in favour with the brothers i could wish to know if thou ever entertainest father arnoff with the history of thy visits to the pasture of the convent with lord emick's herd honest Gottlob. so dost thou fancy master burkhold that at a moment when there is every necessity to possess a calm and contemplative spirit i should strive to put the pious monk in a passion by relating all the antics of some ill-bred cow or a heifer who is as little to be trusted without a keeper as your jungfrau before she reaches the years of caution is to be trusted at a fair without her mother or a sharp-sighted old aunt at the very least well have a care gottlob For Lord Emic, though loving the friar so little, will be apt to order thee into a dungeon on bread and water for a week, or to make thy back acquainted with the laish, should he come to hear that one of his hinds has taken this liberty with the rights of a neighbor. Let Lord Emic then expel the brotherhood from the richest pasturage near the Jaggerthal flesh and blood cannot bear to see the beasts of a noble digging into the earth with their teeth after a few bitter herbs while the carrion of a covenant are rolling the finest and sweetest grasses over their tongues look you master burkhold these friars of Limburg eat the fattest venison drink the warmest wine and say the shortest prayers of any monks in christendom potstausen there are some who accuse them too of shriving the prettiest girls as for bread and water and a dudgeon, I know from experience that neither of the remedies agrees with a melancholy constitution, and I defy the emperor, or even the Holy Father himself, to work such a miracle as to make back of mine acquainted with a lash, simply because the introduction hath long since had place. That is thy interpretation of the matter, Master Burkhold, and I wish thee joy of a quick wit, but we are getting beyond the limits of the forest, and we will dismiss the question to another conversation the beasts are full and will not disappoint the dairy girls and little matters it whence the nourishment comes lord emick's pastures or a churchly miracle thou hast hunted the dogs lightly to-day burkhold i have had them on the mountains for air and movement they got away on the heels of a roebuck for a short run but as all the game in this chase belongs to our master i did not see it fit to let them go faster than there was need i rejoice to hear thee say it for i count upon the company in climbing the mountain when our work is ended thy legs will only be the fresher for the toil thou hast my word and i will not fail thee in order that no time be lost we will part here to meet again in the hamlet the forester and the cowherd made signs of leave-taking and separated the former quitted the public road turning short to the right by a private way which led him across the narrow meadows and the little river which glided among them toward the foot of the opposite mountain Gotlub held on his course to a hamlet that was now visible and which completely filled the narrow pass in the valley at a point where the latter made a turn nearly at a right angle with its general direction the path of the former led him to a habitation very different from the rude dwellings toward which the steps of the cowherd tended a massive castle occupied a projecting point of the mountain overhanging the cluster of houses in the gorge and frowning upon all that attempted the pass the structure was a vast but irregular pile the more modern parts were circular salient towers that were built upon the uttermost verge of the rock from whose battlements it would not have been difficult to cast a stone into the road and which denoted great strength in their masonry while beauty of form and of workmanship as they were understood at the period of which we write were not entirely neglected these towers though large were more appendages to the main building which seen from the position now before the mind of the reader presented a confused maze of walls chimneys and roofs in some places the former rose from the greensward which covered the hillside while in others advantage had been taken of the living rock which was frequently so blended with the pile it supported both being of the same reddish freestone that it was not easy at first glance to say what had been done by nature and what by art the path of the forester led from the valley up the mountain by a gradual and lateral ascent to a huge gate that opened beneath a high arch communicating with a court within on this side of the castle there was neither ditch nor bridge nor any other of the usual defences beyond a portcullis for the position of the hold rendered these precautions in a measure unnecessary still great care had been taken to prevent a surprise and it would have required a sure foot a steady head and vigorous limbs to have effected an entrance into the edifice by any other passage than its gate when burkhold reached the little terrace that lay before the portal he loosened his horn and standing on the verge of the precipice blew a hunting strain apparently in glee The music echoed among the hills, as suited the spot, and more than one crone of the hamlet suspended her toil, in dull admiration to listen to its wild effect. Replacing the instrument, the youth spoke to his hounds and passed beneath the portcullis, which happened to be raised at the moment. End of Volume 1 Chapter 1 Read by Joel Kendrick